worship leaders, worship musicians, and those who love to worship. Here's a basic question for you. Why do we worship? What's the purpose of it? Well, the answer might surprise you. Let's talk about it. Welcome to the Worship Homestead. My name is Nathan Smith. Thank you for joining me. Today, we're covering a really basic but often overlooked question. Why do we worship? Why do we praise? What, what's it for? Well, we'll get to that, but first I want to give you something. If you go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, you can get access to my free worship training bundle called Worship Booster Pack. It has five different modules or videos in it that will help you and your team in all avenues of worship. There's my free guide, How to Build a Better Band. This PDF walks you through what each of the elements of a full-sounding worship team are, what the job is, and what the job is not, so that you don't step on each other's toes. There's cheat codes for church sound. This PDF gives you 25 quick wins for your sound engineer to improve your live stream or your live sound on Sunday. There's 25 chart-topping arrangement tricks. If you have a song that you've been working on with your team that you wish had another gear, here are 25 great ideas to get you started. There's five elements of a full-sounding worship team. This 45-minute training is something I usually charge for when I visit churches, but you get it for free. And finally, 10 Commandments of Worship Songwriting. I wish all worship songwriters could follow these 10 commandments. You would instantly get better songs. And again, you get it for free. All of this is part of the Worship Booster Pack. Just go to my website or click on the link nearby, blueprintsounds.com forward slash worship booster pack. All right, let's talk about why we worship. So I googled why do we worship or why do we praise? And here are some of the answers that you'll often see pop up. Uh, To create an intimate space to draw near to God. There's one. To shift our perspective, to get our focus off of ourselves. Okay. Uh, To encourage us, to teach us, whatever it may be. That boils down to one category, which I call, uh, it's good for you right? We worship because it helps us in some way. It's good for us. It's like eating your vegetables. So that's one category. On the other side, a little more stern side, there's these answers. Because he's God. Because he's worthy. uh, Because he commanded us to do so. You've probably heard something like that. We don't worship God because he needs it. We worship him because he's worthy. Okay, that's true. And I, I totally agree with that. But I would put that in the category of because I said so, (laughs) right? We worship him because I said so. Both of those answers, because it's good for you and because I said so, are sort of what you would tell your five-year-old. You know, why should you eat your vegetables? It's, It's one of those two. But that doesn't explain what the purpose of worship is, right? If God is all sufficient, he has no lack, there's nothing that he needs from us, then why does he command us to worship him? Right? Is it like is it like $100 bills? Hey, I'm going to pay God $100 bills so he can light a match to it and just watch it go up. Does does he have any use for it? Or it's like gas. You know, if my gas tank is full in my car, it doesn't need any more gas if it's all sufficient. Why pump the gas? Again, it becomes this circular thing that you can never get out of. If God doesn't need our worship, then why does he command us to do it? And then you get back to those first two answers, either, well, because we need to do it or because he said so, because he's worthy. Ah, there's got to be a better answer. Well, it turns out there's a much better answer to that question, and it makes a lot of sense. We're going to go back to the first time the word worship is used in scripture and look at that story. 
So here we are in Genesis 22. This is the story of Abraham offering his son Isaac to the Lord. Starting from verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Quick pause. That word worship in Hebrew is shakah, and it means, literally, to bow down. So he and his son Isaac were going to sacrifice, and the worship was to bow down before God. So you should know, just free tip, the word worship is not a musical term. It means to bow. Moving on. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Interestingly, Isaac, the name Isaac means rejoice or laughter. So let's go back and think through that first part of the scripture. God comes to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, that son that you love, the one that you named laughter, the one that you love so much, your only son, the son of the promise, go sacrifice him. That is really, really harsh. Even though now we know in hindsight that God didn't make him perform the deed, doesn't that seem oddly like, like he's rubbing salt in the wound? He could have just kept it very fact-based. He said, he could have just said, go sacrifice Isaac. But he made it a point to mention how much Abraham loved Isaac because he did. That just, it seems sadistic. Like if somebody did that nowadays, even if, even if the act didn't happen, we would call that person a psychopath. How could you be that heartless? Well, God wasn't being heartless. What he was doing when it said he tested Abraham is God was inviting Abraham to play the part of God. As we know, all of this is a type and shadow of what Christ would do much later, right? Christ was the only son of God, the one whom he loved. So God is, is making a point to Abraham. He's saying, the one that you love, go sacrifice him. Now, of course, we know that, that he didn't have to, but the fact that he was willing 
meant that he had passed the test. God saw that Abraham had become so much like him that he would even be willing to give up his one and only son. Of course, God, in his mind, already had, you don't have to do this, Abraham, but I will. I will give up my only son. Let's look at another parallel that's very interesting. After the Lord speaks to Abraham, Abraham looks and behold, there is a ram stuck in a thicket or a thorn bush. Well, what do they put on Jesus right as he's crucified? A crown of thorns. He is the ram in the thicket. He is the substitution for Isaac. So even from the beginning, when that ram is stuck in the thicket by the horns, that points to Christ who would wear a crown of thorns. And finally, let's look at the place where this happened, Mount Moriah. God could have just said, Abraham, go out into the backyard behind your tent and sacrifice your son. But he made him walk for three days to this specific spot called Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide. Why did he do that? Why was he interested in that piece of land above anything else? Well, let's go to First Chronicles and find out. A little bit of background. David is king over Israel, and it says here in First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel, or to take a census of the fighting men, which God had explicitly told the kings of Israel not to do. Do not take a census of your people, because in essence, you are saying, my might is found in the size of my army, not my might is found because we are a nation that belongs to God. And he was advised by all of his advisors, do not do this. This is a wicked thing. And David did it anyway. And so God punishes Israel because of David's sin. First uh, Chronicles 21, starting at verse 14. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, it is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with his sword drawn in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. We'll skip just a little bit to verse 18. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, Gad was a prophet, that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. And Ornan was threshing wheat. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David, and went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Give me the sight of this threshing floor, that I may build on it an altar to the Lord, for the full price you shall give it to me, that the plague may be restrained from the people. Ornan said to David, Take it for yourself and let my lord the king do what is good in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. So David gave Ornan six hundred shekels of gold by weight for the sight. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called on the name of the Lord, and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. The Lord commanded the angel, and he put his sword back in the sheath. We'll skip just a little more. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David collects all the resources necessary to build the temple there at that spot. Solomon actually builds the temple. But you want to know where that spot is? 
Mount Moriah, where God had Abraham offer Isaac his son. Very interesting. God really cared about this particular spot. He consecrated it in blood at the beginning with Abraham and then consecrated it again and had David pay for it in full. So it absolutely belonged to the Lord because that's where he was going to place his government, where he was going to have his home. Literally, the Ark of the Covenant has on it what's called the mercy seat, where the Lord would sit in the presence of his people. What's the point? Well, David understood all this, and in the scriptures, David says, you, God, are enthroned on the praises of your people. Worship and praise is meant, its purpose is to enthrone the Lord. God wanted that spot of land for himself, and so he had Abraham consecrate it, and he had David consecrate it so that he could establish his government there on that strategic piece of land right on top of Mount Moriah. And all through scripture, we see praise and worship preceding the arrival of the king. Let me give you a couple examples. Mount Sinai, the Lord comes down, is going to meet with Israel, fire and smoke. And what else does it say? It says there was a shofar blast. A shofar is a ram's horn trumpet, this loud blast. And it doesn't say that the people blew the horns. It says that the shofar blasted. So everybody in Israel is hearing this shofar blast and then seeing this fire and smoke on Mount Sinai as God comes down to give the law to Moses. The sound of praise and worship precedes the arrival of the king. Well, let's go to Joshua. God commands Joshua, march around the city of Jericho with your men carrying the Ark of the Covenant, blow the ram's horns, and shout. Why? Because praise and worship heralds the arrival of the king. When they blew the shofar and they shouted, they were inviting the Lord to come and make his kingdom right there, to come and sit down, and he sat and took his spot on Jericho. Of course, the walls fall, and that's the beginning of the conquest in Canaan. All throughout scripture, we see praise and worship preceding the arrival of the king, the expansion of his kingdom. Let's go to the New Testament. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and the crowds wave the palm branches and throw down their cloaks in front of him. And what do they say? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting a psalm. That Hosanna is actually Hosha'ana, save Lord, I beseech you. They're quoting a psalm from the Old Testament. They're singing, heralding the arrival of the kingdom. And finally, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, they ask him, Lord, how do we pray? He says, pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. There's the praise. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praise precedes the arrival of the kingdom. When we worship and when we praise, we enthrone the Lord. We enthrone him on our praises. He comes and makes his throne where we are, and that expands the reach of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It fulfills the mandate that he gave humanity at the beginning. When Adam and Eve are created, what does God say? He places them in the garden and says, take over the world, fill the earth, reproduce, multiply, subdue the earth, take it over. When he destroys the world by flood and Noah and his family are saved and they get off of the ark, what does God say? Go take over the world, fill it, reproduce, multiply. What does Jesus say when he 
is has died and resurrected and is about to go back into heaven, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, take over the world. It's the same thing three times, right? He's very clear. Your job is to take my kingdom and expand it all over the world. One of the ways that we do that is through praise and worship by enthroning him. So worship is not primarily to make us feel good. Obviously, Abraham didn't feel good in the moment when he was offering his son. And it's not because I told you to. Yes, we're commanded to praise, but the command has a reason. It has a purpose. Just like with Abraham, God had a lot of things in mind, including the land on which Abraham worshiped. God wants to increase his government over all the earth. Just like it says in Isaiah, to the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. The reason why you exist on the earth and not just in space is because God wants his government of peace here through you and your praise and your worship. What an honor. Hey, I hope that video helps you. And I hope you understand the immensity of what you're doing when you worship and when you praise. Again, if you need help with your band or live sound or songwriting, go to blueprintsounds.com forward slash worship booster pack. And until next week, God bless and goodbye.